Awesome. Well, good morning, River City. It's good to be with you. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, grateful to get to start another new year with you. Uh, as well, uh, we're going to be studying God's Word this year because that's what we did last year. That's what we're going to do this year and pretty much every other year after that. So looking forward to doing that with you guys. And I don't know about you, but New Year's always uh, feels like an exciting time for me. It feels like a season of like fresh starts and new beginnings. And it just feels like full of like, oh, what could happen this year? Like all kinds of cool things could go on. And, and so it's like, this, it's like a time full of that kind of excitement. And it's not just me, right? It's uh, generally something appealing about new starts, right? Uh, those New Year's is uh, like the ones that we find at New Year's. Lots of us use those times to set goals or make resolutions as part of starting a new year, right? Most of those seem to center around some version of eating healthier or working out, or maybe it's something like reading your Bible or whatever it might be. Those are all good things. There's, there's lots of healthy and good ways that we try to change at the start of a new year. But I think that sometimes, even oftentimes, what's underneath the changes that we try to, re, uh, try to start making in our lives around the start of a new year are often rooted in a desire to kind of reinvent or rediscover ourselves, to kind of find out maybe who we really are or who we really could be. It's the kind of the, the, the mantra at the beginning of the new year, right? It's like new year, new me, right? And we're trying to rediscover, oftentimes we're trying to rediscover ourselves. And I think underneath those things oftentimes is not just the desire to rediscover ourselves, but it's a, it's a renewed search for an identity, it's a renewed search for this the question of answering who am I and, and what am I really about and where's their significance and worth. And a few years back, I remember seeing a friend of mine, she posted something online on Facebook around this time of year. She said this, she said, in a year where you can be anything, be yourself and surround yourself with people and things that help bring out the best version of you. And as you'd expect, her post got all, lots of likes and affirming comments and, and, uh, and things were, you know, it was just very popular, right? Because the, the, that's a message that resonates not just with the way that we think around New Year's, but with an attitude and a perspective that is rooted very deeply in the culture that we live in. You see, the, the reality is that the culture we live in is obsessed with the idea of finding and becoming your true self. Finding and becoming your true self, the highest virtues in our uh, Western world are individual freedom and personal happiness and self-definition and self-expression and the most heroic storylines and all the stories are the ones where people look deep inside their own hearts and they figure out who they really think that they are and then they, they turn around and express those things to the world, especially when that means going against whatever family or friends or political affiliations or previous generations or religious religious authorities might have to say the way to find the sense of fulfillment and happiness and self-worth that you're looking for is to be true to yourself, to follow your heart. But the, the truth is, is that that message, that our culture, uh, that we swim in every day in our culture is, is what I like to kind of call is the, the false gospel of expressive individualism. And that message, that gospel, that good news that our culture proclaims, it's actually not just different than the gospel that Jesus himself proclaimed, but it, it stands in utter contradiction 
to the message that Jesus proclaimed. And the reality is that if we're not careful, it can be really easy for us as Christians to allow the false gospel of expressive individualism in the culture that we live in to to actually become the basis on which we form our own identity and sense of worth and significance and value. It can be really easy for that to happen because with one hand, we hold our faith in one hand, but with the other, we allow the the culture that we're in to shape who we really are and to be the script and the narrative about which forms our identity. And, And so that's why we start a new year in the midst of a time of year when we're often thinking about reinventing and rediscovering ourselves, what I want to spend our first couple of weeks doing this year is actually uh, rooting ourselves instead of what we think we might be or who we think we might be, to instead spend some time uh, reminding ourselves about what God's word has to say about who he says that we are and the identity that he offers rather than the ones we try to discover ourselves. An identity that, as we're going to see this morning, is rooted in a relationship with the person and the work of Jesus. And so in the coming weeks, I can't wait to show you a bunch of different specific aspects of the identity that God offers us through faith in Jesus and how that shapes our lives. But this morning, as we open our series and our year together studying God's word, what I want to do as we start our series together is, is to show you how in an age obsessed with becoming yourself, the countercultural and seemingly paradoxical message of the gospel is that the, the way to find the real you, the way to find the true you, isn't by being true to who you think you are, but instead by being true to who Jesus says that you are. And see, the, the vision that God has for us isn't that we would look into our own hearts to find and discover who we really are, but that instead that we would look to him and to who he has called and made us to be, and that we would increasingly instead find and live out our identity in the purpose and the identity that he has given us through Jesus. And so uh, to that end, this morning we're going to take a look at a passage in Colossians chapter 3. What I want to show you is, is not only what God's word has to say about the true you, how that contrasts with what our world and our culture has to say, but how it's actually good news in the face of a world that longs to proclaim that defining yourself is really good news. So I can't wait to show you how God's word is good news this morning. So with that in mind, let's pray. We'll dive into our passage together. God, thank you for our time to gather and to worship you on this chilly uh, New Year's morning. God, we're grateful that your word, even though our year is new, your word has not changed and that it is life that we need, we find in your word. And so, God, we humbly ask you this morning, by your grace, would you be shaping our hearts and our minds and our character, God, so that we look more and more like Jesus instead of more and more like ourselves. God, thanks that the true us, the real us that you've made us to be is wrapped up in knowing him. And so, God, we ask as we begin a new year that you would help us to be captivated by Jesus and that the good news of the identity that we have in him would bring life to us and would be good news through us to others. And so, God, for any of that to happen, um, God, we need you to be shaping us this morning. I don't have any power to do that. And so, God, for our good and for your glory, we ask that you'd be transforming and shaping and renewing us, God. So we need you for all of it. We, lo- we, we are so grateful that you long to meet us in that. So, amen. 
All right, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. It begins this way. Apostle Paul here, writing to the church in, uh, in Colossians, in Colossi, he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of such things as these, anger and rage and slander and malice and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator." Now, we are not going to suck the marrow out of everything in these verses this morning, but what I want to do as we start our series this morning is to highlight two key things that about what God's Word has to say to us about the true you, how two key ways that what God's Word has to say about that stands in contrast to the false gospel of expressive individualism. And the first contradiction is simply this. Number one is that, that the true you... God's word said is found by looking upwards at Christ instead of inward at yourself. The true you is found by looking upward instead of inward. So our culture tells us the way to find out who you really are is to look deep in your heart and discover your innermost desires and passions. And, but God's word, what God's word tells us is that the way to find the true you, your, your real self, isn't by looking inward, but is instead by looking upward. Verse one, he says, since then you've been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Verse three, for you died and your life, he's talking about your identity, your core, your very self, who you really are. He says, it's now hidden with Christ in God. See, what Paul's trying to say is that the way that you find the true you, the real you, the, the person that you were made to be is by focusing your attention upwards at Christ instead of inwards on yourself. Now, we're not doing this a whole lot right now, but in the summers, uh, my family, we love to go for walks together. And when my kids were little, we had these tricycles for them with a handle that was on the back, which that, whoever invented that, just brilliant. Because you could drive them and they'd think they were in charge, but they weren't actually in charge, right? You know, and you could steer where they were going. It was wonderful, right? But eventually, right, my kids got to this spot where they wanted to drive themselves and they could tell that the handle in the back was actually doing something, right? And so they're like, dad, like, we, let us go. We want to, we want to drive ourselves. And, and so you kind of like let them start doing their own thing. And I just remember when, as we were doing that, about like every three and a half seconds, you're like, watch where you're going. Pay attention, watch where you're headed, right? Look, look out what's going on. Because the reality is that like every two seconds, they're like looking at a shiny rock in the road or some bird that's recently flown in a various direction of something that's going on, or there's a squirrel climbing a tree. And what happens is, is they start looking at whatever that thing is, and then they just very quickly start veering, right, to the direction that they're looking. Because the reality is, is for a three-year-old riding a tricycle and for anyone riding a bike is that you go where you're looking. 
That's, that's how it works, right? You, you go where you are looking. And the same is true for us as we think about finding and becoming our true selves. You see, our culture says that the true you is found by looking deep inside yourself and by expressing without inhibition whatever you find there. But, but verse 5 tells us that what we find inside our own hearts, right, our earthly nature is not something that should be paraded. But instead, verse 5 says, put to death, right? Romans chapter 8, Paul echoes these words when he says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, and the mind governed by the flesh is death. Jeremiah chapter 19 reminds us, right? He says, the heart is deceitful above all things. One commentator, he sums it up this way. He says, the gospel shows us that the depths of our hearts are steeped in sin. And that what we need most is not expression, but redemption. You see, when we look inward to find our true selves, what happens is we just end up veering off course, spiraling off course, because we're just going deeper and deeper into our own sinful hearts. But the reality is when you look up at Jesus and the identity that you have wrapped up in him, what happens is is that you're able to set a stable course in the right direction because Jesus is not only the perfect image of what it looks like for humanity for us to be and how to live and, and all that stuff, but he is actually one who never changes. The reality is, is that you start this year and you realize that the desires of your heart this year are probably different than they were last year. Our hearts change. We are so inconsistent. And the things that matter most to us right now often won't be the things that matter most to us in a, just even in a year's time. But Jesus never changes. But more than just showing us the right direction and setting our hearts and minds on a true version of ourself that doesn't change, what happens is when we look upwards at Jesus to be our course and to be the source for our identity, what happens is it actually gives us this incredible level of security and confidence. See, as it reminds us that our identity isn't something that we achieve. It's not something that you earn. It's not something that you accomplish. Instead, it's something that you receive from God by grace through faith in him. Verse 1, Paul begins, right? He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. See, the reality is that we're just jumping into the chapter 3 of Colossians. But if you study the first two chapters, what you find is that Paul has spent the first two chapters of the book reminding in very specific and detailed terms, reminding these believers about who Jesus is and all that he has done for them and who they now are because of him. He reminds them in chapter 1 how they were once alienated from God and actually enemies of God, but how God has reconciled them by Christ's body to him and God's qualified them to share in his inheritance with his people and how they're, instead of being enemies of God, God's made them through the person and the work of Jesus, his very children, members of his family and brothers and sisters with fellow believers. We see in chapter two how Paul says, you, were, you, you used to be, you were condemned because of your sin, found guilty and sentenced, but instead on the cross, what happened is that God canceled your record of death. He paid the penalty in Christ. So now instead of being found guilty, we are holy in his sight, without free from blemish, free from accusation. Chapter 2, he says, we were dead in sin, but now we've been made alive in Christ. God rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and instead of being broken, we instead have been bought, brought to fullness, made complete in him. 
And so what Paul is doing here in chapter 3 is not giving people a list of new things they need to be doing. What he's saying is be who you already are. Be who you already are. One author puts it this way, he sums it up. He says, genuine self-knowledge begins by looking at God and noticing how God is looking at us. That enables you to see the true you, your true self, is not something you need to construct through a process of self-improvement or deconstruct by a means of psychological analysis. It is not an object to be grasped, nor is it an archetype merely to be actualized. It's not even some inner hidden part of you. Rather, it is your total self as you were created by God and as you are being redeemed in Christ Jesus. Church, do you see the life there? Do you see how there's good news in the identity that Jesus gives? There is freedom there. You see, freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want to do. Real freedom is the ability to be unhindered from doing what you were always made to do, doing the thing that you were, your very purpose. You see, real freedom is always found in the right restrictions. That's why Jesus says in John 8, right? He says, if you hold to my teaching." then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, in contrast, the self-made, self-defined identity that the gospel of expressive individualism proclaims as liberation and freedom, the reality is that it just endlessly becomes a crushing burden. Not only do you have to figure out who you really are, you have to become you have to actualize who you decide you are, and you have to become the thing your identity is rooted and based in. Growing up, my dad's favorite movie was an old school movie. Maybe you've seen it. It's a movie called Chariots of Fire. It's about a guy who's an Olympic runner named Eric Liddell. And, and throughout the movie, it's clear that Eric's identity is not found in his running, even though running is a huge part of his life. Instead, what we see very clearly is that Eric's identity is rooted in his faith in God, and it enables him to not only enjoy running and to do it and pursue it, but it enables him to choose not to do it because his identity isn't wrapped up in it. But in contrast, there's this really poignant scene where one of his teammates is preparing for a race, and this guy's about to run, and he confesses to, to his friend, he says, in an hour's time, I'll be out there again, and I'll raise my eyes, and I'll look down that corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. But will I? And what you see is that his friend is consumed by this need to prove himself, to justify his existence because his identity is wrapped up in how this race runs. Now, none of you are Olympic-level athletes, right? And that's not your issue, right? You're not looking down a corridor, right, with thinking that you have 10 seconds to prove yourselves. But the reality is that for some of you, your identity is wrapped up in your career, and every job performance review that you get is a test and decide whether or not you've proved yourself, whether or not you've justified your existence. Some of you, it's not your work, but maybe it's your kids. And every parent-teacher conference or every report card is not an evaluation of how your kids are doing. It's, a, it's an evaluation of you and the identity that you have put in them. For some of you, simply your identity is rooted in being successful however you define it. And the reality is, is that in order to achieve that identity, you have to keep comparing yourselves to others endlessly. Right? 
You see, we seek to define ourselves in all kinds of ways. But the reality is, is that whenever we define ourselves, it endlessly becomes a burden that we cannot bear. It crushes us under the need to actualize whatever identity we define for ourselves. And it's not freedom that you find. Instead, it's slavery. We become ruled by trying to justify our own existence. And it's a burden that you just cannot carry. But the reality that we see in Scripture is that the, the gospel that Jesus proclaimed is one that's altogether different because it says that our identity, our value, our worth, our true self, who you really are, is not something you achieve. It's not something you earn. It's not something you muster into existence. But it's something you receive by faith that you are God's forgiven, beloved, image-bearing children, that your value and worth and significance doesn't have to do with what you have achieved or not achieved, with what you have succeeded or not succeeded, with what you have accomplished or the lack of accomplishments that you have. Instead, you have this immeasurable value and worth because God says who you are matters to him. He gives you an identity and a worth and a purpose and a meaning that is irrevocable and irremovable that's not able to be moved by you or anyone else. And the reality is, is that when you let that identity sink in, it changes you like nothing else can. Hannah Anderson, she's a, a writer and an author. She writes it this way. I think she just so beautifully puts it. She says, our identity as image bearers simultaneously elevates and humbles us because it reminds us that our calling is too grand and too glorious to be contained in human categories, and yet it confronts our pride by reminding us that we are not God. And in this sense, finding our identity as image bearers centers us, and it puts us in our place in the best possible way. See, church, the message of the gospel is that you find who you really are, not by looking inward, but by looking upward at Jesus and seeing who he says you are. He not only shows us who we're meant to be, but he also redeems us so that we can become who he's made us to be. And that leads us to the, the second way that we see what God's word has to say about the true you contrast with the, the false gospel of expressive individualism. And it's this, the, the true you is realized by dying to yourself instead of expressing yourself. You see, expressive individualism advocates desires all of them, right? Anything that gets in the way of expressing the, well, who you feel you are deep down inside, that that is a problem. But the Bible doesn't affirm every one of our desires. In fact, just the opposite. We're told over and over that not all of our desires are good. Not all of them should be in, expressed. In fact, many of them we see even in our passage this morning should not be paraded, but instead put to death. Verse five, he says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. That's really strong language, right? Paul doesn't say, doesn't say tame those desires. He doesn't say harness them. He doesn't say hide them, put them away. He says reject them, kill them, die to them, be done with them. Trevin Wax, he's a pastor, he sums it up this way. He says, the Christian preacher tells people all day long, don't be true to yourself. Because the reality is that the self that you would be true to is rotten to the core. 
Authenticity isn't accepting your sins, it's admitting them and being true instead to the person who Jesus has called and made you to be. See, the reality is that God's word is our guide to which desires we have are are of him and which are not. You see, in the calling for us as followers of Jesus is that we find ourselves not by expressing whatever we feel inside, but instead by submitting ourselves unto God's word, by dying to who we think we are so that we might become who Jesus has made us to be. But, but dying to our own desires, that wasn't Paul's idea. It's not something he just came up with in Colossians. It was Jesus' idea himself. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus says it this way. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whatever loses their life for me will find it, will save it. You see, denying yourself is about saying no to who you think you are and instead saying yes to who Jesus says that you are. And it can feel like that can feel wildly counterintuitive. It can feel scary. It can feel like like it doesn't make any sense. But the reality I want to show you this morning is that there is life and good news there because what Jesus proclaims to us, the message that he lays out to us is that self-denial is not the road to self-destruction. It is instead the road to self-discovery. It's the way to really finding who you really are, who God really made you to be. In his conclusion, uh, in, in, in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis sums all this up this way. If you've ignored everything I've had to say so far, listen to this. This one's helpful. He says it this way. He says, many people today are seeking to know who they really are, but they are going about it in the wrong way. For only Jesus can help us discover and become who we were meant to be. The more we get what we call ourselves out of the way and let him take us over, the more truly ourselves we will become. This principle runs all of life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death of your ambitions and your favorite wishes and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find real life. He says this, look for yourself and you'll only find in the long run hatred and loneliness and despair and rage and ruin and decay, but look for Jesus. In Christ, you will find him and with him, everything else thrown in. Church, the paradoxical message of the gospel is that the way to find the real you is to look at Jesus and to die to who you think you are so that you might become who you really are in him. See, giving ourselves wholly to Christ is the way to discover who you really are because he's the one that made you and knows just what you've been made to be. And it's the only way to become uh, by who Christ means us to be. It's the only way to experience the life of blessing and purpose that he has in store for you. It's the only way to fulfill the purpose which he made you for in the beginning. And it, like I said before, it can feel scary and counterintuitive, but church, it's the narrow road that leads to life. And so the question I want to put before you this morning 
as we begin a new year is to ask the question, have you ever surrendered to Jesus? Have you ever made him the king and ruler in your life? Have you made him the one who gives you an identity? Or are you still living your life as though you are the one in charge and that your identity is something you make for yourself? Apostle Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. He calls us that to remember that Christ died so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but to live for him who died for them and was raised again. See, the reality, church, is that some of you are here this morning and you have been around church your whole lives. You've been around the Bible. You've been around religious thinking. But you have never submitted and surrendered to Jesus as king. And you have, he has always been an add-on, but he has never been Lord. And so you have never died to yourself. Instead, you are living for yourself. Instead, you've always asked his plans and his purposes and his desires to die to your own so that you might be who you think you should become. And the reality is that you're finding is that it's not working. And if we're honest, many of you have experienced what C.S. Lewis is talking about. The emptiness at the road of giving ourselves to finding ourselves without Jesus. You've given yourselves to the goal of becoming and expressing your true self and either you endlessly keep failing or you feel like you've succeeded and it has left you found. Then the, the identity you found at the end is altogether lacking. You're not finding the life you're looking for. You're not finding the joy you are looking for. You're not finding the peace that you are looking for or the fulfillment or worth that you are looking for. It's always just one more step down the road. And it always will be. Because when your identity is something you have to achieve and, uh, and maintain on your own, it's not something you can ever rest in. See, the reality... God's word says the good news of the gospel is that the true you is not one step ahead. The true you is wrapped up in Jesus and in knowing and following him. It's wrapped up in who he has made you to be and who he died so that you might actually become. See, some of you are here this morning and you need to find him for the first time. But others of you are here this morning and you have surrendered to Jesus and you have trusted him to be the one who gives you your identity and your value and your worth. But instead of continuing to set your mind on him, you've been soaking in the lies of the culture around you. And with one hand, you've been trying to believe the truth of the Bible, but with the other, you allow the narrative and the script of our culture to be the thing by which your identity is formed. And you keep falling back into the believing the lie that it's your success or that it's your approval or that whatever it is, is that the thing that really gives you the identity you are looking for. And I want to call you graciously this morning to remember not who you think you are, but to remember who Jesus has said you are because of him. That instead of seeking to find the real you by looking inward, you might be reminded again that the real you is found in him. And that you might begin again a new year, seeking instead of becoming yourself, 
to find the real you in becoming more and more like him. Wherever you are at this morning, I want to encourage you, in the midst of a year where you can indeed be anything, instead of resolving to be yourself and surround yourself with people and things that can bring about the best version of you, my heart is that you might be resolved to instead become who Jesus says you already are. And that you might surround yourself with people who will remind you about who Jesus made and called and empowers you to be. People who will point you to him and the true you that is found not by being the version, best version of you, but instead by dying to yourself so that you might be who he's made you to be. A people who in an age obsessed with becoming yourself will instead help you to become more and more like Jesus. You see, reminding ourselves about who Jesus is and who we are because of him. That's what we're doing every week when we take communion. We're with the bread, we're reminding Jesus' body broken for us and he lived the life that we should have lived, showing us who we were really meant to be. And with the drink, we remember his blood that was shed for us as he died the death you and I deserved, redeeming us so that you and I might actually become who he died so that we might be able to be. And so we remember Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf and all that it accomplished for us. And it reminds us, of how worthy Jesus is of our worship and our holiness and our obedience and our lives committed to being like him. And so communion, it's, it's not something that changes your status or your standing with God. It doesn't make him feel differently about you. Instead, it's an opportunity for us to remember. To remember Jesus. So that in remembering him, we might be captivated by him and all he has done on our behalf, who he says that we are, so that we might, instead of being obsessed with becoming ourselves, might become captivated and obsessed with becoming like him. The bread and the juice are in the back. There's a table on the left and on the right, and you can simply dip the bread and the juice or take one of the packs back to your seat with you, but... As we sing and as we worship, as we remember the gospel together, if you have put your trust in Jesus, if he is your Savior and Lord, if he is the king who gives you the identity you are looking for, then whenever you are ready, I want to encourage you, go back and take communion. Do it in joy, remembering the identity that Jesus died so that you might have, that it's an identity that's not something you have to achieve for yourself, but something you get to, by grace and faith, receive from him. But if you're not, if you're here this morning and you're still figuring out who Jesus is and if the identity that he offers you is one you even want in the first place, then I want to encourage you, I want you to know how welcome you are here in this church and in this community. And your questions are welcome here and your process is welcome here, but I want to encourage you as well, hold off on taking communion. God's not after religious rituals. He's not after going through the motions. He's after a heart that is uh, hoping and trusting in him completely. One that's not relying on your own actions, but one that relies on his for you on your behalf. And so as we take communion, as we sing, I want to encourage you, wherever you are at, talk with God 
In the coming weeks, I can't wait to show you all the ways, these specific, incredible ways that that God's word outlines for us the identity that God gives us and how that shapes and transforms our lives. But this morning, I just want you to wrestle with the reality that where we look for our identity matters. And you're either looking for it in yourself or you're looking for it from someone else to give you or you'll find it in Jesus and who he says you are. And there is life in finding an identity in him that can be found nowhere else. And so ask, ask God to help you see where it is you are looking for for your own identity and significance and worth And ask him as well to help you to see where he might be calling you to die to who you think you are so that you might actually be able to become who he made you to be. Let's pray. King Jesus, we are so grateful for you this morning. God, in the midst of a world that tells us that there's freedom in defining ourselves and in actualizing ourselves, we see that as the we need you to help us to see that as the lie that it really is. And instead, that by your grace we might lay hold of the identity you freely give us. God, thank you that the identity you offer us as your image-bearing children, not just servants, but friends of yours, King Jesus. God, those who are commissioned by you to be your representatives in the world, would you help us to see the identity you give us as life-giving good news for us? God, we need you to keep shaping our hearts so that we see what is true through your eyes. God, help us to reject the identities we make for ourselves and instead to cling tightly to who you say we are and died so that we might become. We need you for all of it, God. Thanks that you are enough to meet us in that need and to make us into the people that you said we are. Amen.